Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. Now my guest today is a beautiful woman named Frances Trussell, who is one of the leading mindfulness and meditation teachers in the UK, and I personally had an absolute blast chatting with her. There is so much in this episode, as Frances and I chat about mindful eating, being mindfully happy, how we always wait for the perfect conditions in life, traveling through life with our blinkers on, and the relationship between mental health and mindfulness. Frances also gives some great mindfulness tips when dealing with teenage kids, mindfulness and being a parent, and how our bad days filter through to our kids. We also touch on the notion of paradise syndrome, which is when we achieve everything, but we're still not happy. Frances is also the host of the Mindfully Happy podcast, and if you're new to meditation or simply want a different guided meditation, I would highly recommend taking a listen, as I love my morning meditations with Frances. She has a bunch of little series, and in each there are five and ten minute meditations. I've included a link to her podcast and everything else that we chat about in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. There are so many great takeaways in this episode, and Frances has such a beautiful and fun vibe about her. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Frances Trussell. Hey, Frances, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, very well indeed. And whereabouts in this beautiful world do I find you today? So I am today in a very sunny part of South London, looking out of my beautiful windows. I live very close to Hampton Court Palace, uh, which sounds very grand, and it is quite grand. It's where Henry VIII uh, kept some of his wives. Uh, And it's a beautiful, leafy, green part of the world. Oh, beautiful. And I usually do these podcasts, just the audio only, and I record them over Skype. But you and I are actually talking face-to-face here, and you you talk about being in a a sunny part of London. There's this beautiful ray of light shining from your skylight behind you, and it's actually beautiful, this beautiful aura around you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it today. The British summertime when it comes out to play is a very beautiful thing. It's quite a rare beast. So we really savour it and make the most of it. Yeah, it's a beautiful three days when that British summer comes out. <laughs> yeah, it, it is indeed. But my, my strawberries are liking it. I've got lots of fresh strawberries in the garden at the moment, doing a bit of mindful eating. Oh, with nice. Those, so. And well, 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 talk to me about that, that mindful that mindful eating yeah mindful eating is something that I feel incredibly passionate about on one of my very first retreats I ever attended many years ago uh, one of the first things we were asked to do was peel a satsuma (laughs) quite randomly and I had never really paid attention and given 
the fullness of my attention to such an activity before looking first at the way that the light was reflecting across it and the bumps and the dimples and noticing all of the sounds of the peeling and the, the scent that was kind of popping out. And I really felt in those first moments that I had woken up to this experience of being there with the food that I was just about to put in my mouth and it was such a penny drop moment for me and as I kind of bit into that juicy satsuma I'm not even a satsuma type of person what, what uh, is a satsuma a satsuma it's like uh like a mini type of orange oh like a mandarin it's a mandarin yes okay got you so we we have lots of different types of yes it's like a little mandarin and um and it was just it just occurred to me that i was missing out on so much of the vibrancy of life and the juice of life by not paying attention to what i was doing when i was doing it and if i could get that much joy from this little mandarin by being there and showing up then that could really filter down into so many of the experiences in my life. And that was a massive wake up for me. And so I hold the experience of mindful eating so dear. And I think it's so important, particularly in a society here in the UK, we have an enormous obesity academic uh, epidemic. And, um, uh, and we're just simply not paying attention to what we're doing when we're doing it because we're so lost in our thoughts. And actually, we don't need diets. We don't need people to tell us what to eat. Uh, we need to really tune back into the signs that our body is giving us about when we're full uh, and when we're hungry and actually what best serves us and what best nourishes us, uh, both kind of physically mentally spiritually and mindfulness is the way that we do that and, and accessing that through mindful eating is a really really powerful tool yeah i completely agree with you when you actually um, my wife and i we just did this thing called no meat may where we didn't eat any meat for the month of may and it was a, a really big game changer for us and, and not that i We'll never eat meat again. I think we'll definitely eat a lot less of it. But actually kind of bringing that awareness into the food that you eat. And I really loved the, that whole month because we were really deliberate in what meals we're going to cook and new foods that we were going to eat. And it was just really lovely to kind of be mindful about the things that you do put into your mouth. Yeah, absolutely. And... And this does happen as we become more and more mindful. We do become aware of the flavours and the tastes and the texture um, and, and the history of stuff, you know, where stuff has come from uh, and what it means to be putting that into our bodies. And uh, that certainly has a filter through to how we choose to live our life and the decisions that we make and and we become aware of the influence that what we're putting into our bodies what that has on the way that we're feeling and the way that we're thinking as well yeah most definitely but um you francis are one of the leading mindfulness and, and meditation teachers in the uk and your website and your meditations fall under your company mindfully happy so 
I wanted to, I guess, start part of the conversation there and ask you, is happiness something that we need to be mindful about? I feel that the two things come hand in hand. For me, if I look back on my life, uh, as I'm sure we've all had much unhappiness, but the the, the moments that I would look at as the golden moments, those moments where you felt really, uh, really, really happy, those really special times that kind of stick in the memory bank, they were moments that I was being mindful, just naturally mindful. And you're there, whatever it is, looking at the sunset, perhaps, or I had a particular moment, and uh, I know uh, perhaps you may have had this too, uh, on, on wedding day, there's so much pressure around wedding day, but I stepped out onto the aisle and I looked down and I could see my husband at the end and suddenly everybody does that thing of kind of turning around to look at you. And there was such an intense sensation of aliveness. It was like all time stood still and I could feel the warmth of everybody and everybody's intention for my happiness and my intention for my happiness. And um, that was a truly golden moment. And in that moment, I was so there, so alive, so mindful. And... I really feel that we, when we train ourselves in mindfulness, we allow ourselves the opportunity to experience more and more of these golden moments because we practice waking up to them. We practice really being there. We practice this thing of noticing, oh, look at me, I've gone off uh, on a train of thought again. And where am I? What am I doing? And even in a very simple act, we can make this a happy and golden moment. And like, the, you know, those happy moments that you talk about there with being mindful and present in those moments to feel that happiness, why do you think so many people struggle to do that? Well, because a lot of the time I think we're waiting for the perfect conditions. Obviously, you know, one would hope that on, on your wedding day uh, you would be happy, but actually it doesn't need to be a special occasion. You know, life is a special occasion. It is so miraculous that we're here, isn't it? It's just absolutely incredible. So these are the perfect conditions already for happiness if we're not looking to external factors to make us happy, uh, just stepping outside, feeling the breeze on your face and, you know, looking around you. There are so many opportunities for mindfulness, uh, but we need to we need to practice not getting lost in these projections of how life is supposed to be. Yeah, it's funny you talk about those those beautiful moments of happiness and whether that be, you know, the, the mindful eating and peeling that fruit that I don't know the name of that looks like a little <laughs> mandarin or kind of walking out and, and feeling that sunlight on your face. Or for me, I, I, I love the sand between my toes and the way that mm. my, my skin feels when, I, when I'm in the, the ocean and things like that. But these are really simple pleasures and really simple ways to to feel alive and be mindful 
and really feel that happiness. I find that we're always pushing ourselves to, to try to find those really big moments, those, those big grand fireworks kind of happiness. And we, we kind of plateau through day to day life, even though that's where all the beautiful happiness nuggets kind of live. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. Um, but it's, it's really important that we, we recognize this and in a way we've been conditioned and trained to, to feel that we need to be striving constantly. And, and it's that constant struggle that we have within ourselves. You know, am I, am I doing enough? Uh, is this enough? Uh, do I need to be creating more? Do I need to be producing more? Do I need to be earning more? And uh, and of course, that's what drives society. So that's what we are uh, educated to to believe. And it's really important for me, certainly, and for so many of the students that I work with, to to actually step back and take that little breathing space to check into everything we already do have, everything that we already have achieved. Um, It's that whole cliche of, you know, stopping to to actually smell the roses along the way because so often we just get the blinkers on and we've got this vision of where it is we're going. And when we have the blinkers on, what that does is it just blocks out everything else along. Yes, we, we did lose each other there. I got up to the part where um, you were talking about um, having the blinkers on. Yeah, okay. So I can go back. And um, so quite often what we do is we have the blinkers on, we have got this vision of something we want to achieve or a place that we need to get to. And we can tell ourselves this story, like when I get there, that's when I am going to be happy, you know, in the next job or the next house or the next relationship. But of course, what we're doing when we have those blinkers on is we're making everything else between now and when we achieve those things an obstacle to overcome. If I look back at my most stressed self, I made Monday to Friday, this enormous obstacle to overcome. I was literally just trying to get through it uh, so I could get to the place I wanted to be. And in doing so, we miss out on huge swathes of our life. We don't have enough hours or days in our life to make Monday to Friday an obstacle. And waking up to that reality is so key, so important. Yeah, it's it's really interesting there when you talk about like arriving at a at a point. It's always that we we seem to be chasing that imaginary finishing line. And I I know for me it was you know I felt like I had ticked all of those boxes of social expectation, and then it was like ah like I feel like I've I've arrived here, but like now what? There's always that kind of that that emptiness over the cliffs. But what was it for you like? How did you arrive at that point where you decided to take a step back? I was totally miserable. I was very, very depressed. I uh, had a very successful career by many people's standards. Uh, At quite a young age, I was earning large sums of money. I was traveling the world. 
but um but actually i was very unhappy i was very unfulfilled and um and really it took for me to recognize that actually i'd been deeply depressed for many years uh using uh drugs uh, and alcohol to try and get through that and i just had an absolute moment really a real real epiphany where i just thought this this can't go on this behavior can't go on and as many of us do it wasn't uh, as immediate as that there was quite a bit of back and forth between various things that um for me to to get to a point where i decided to jack it all in and become a meditation teacher but um but i feel that deep down when we and i work with lots of people who are very successful who go through this same thing when we get to that place where we've seemingly achieved so many of those things which we set out to achieve and we're still not happy we call it paradise syndrome it's like we're in paradise but actually mentally it's a hell because we suddenly recognize that stuff out there doesn't make you happy it's only happiness that comes from inside of us and again that might sound like a cliche but all of our emotions come from inside of us they don't come from outside of us it's not like we buy the handbag and we open it up and happiness jumps at us from the inside <laughs> pocket you know it's the projections that we're putting on to the things that we want uh, both the physical things and the achievements in our life uh, that's that's what where the happiness comes from it's coming from how we feel how we perceive the situation in which we find ourselves and and what do you think is some tactics or strategies that could help people come to that realization you know what sometimes you've really you do have to go through it mm. you need to you need to want to do it enough and for me quite often I'm meeting people who are really in crisis, people who have really got to a low point, because actually, if you're mildly miserable, you're not motivated enough to do anything to change it. Uh, sometimes we need to be really quite miserable indeed, uh, quite depressed to suddenly recognise that actually this isn't enough for us living this way isn't actually acceptable in terms of how we want to spend our life and that is quite often what gives us the power and the drive to really create lasting change in our life and if we want to create lasting change in our life there's a bit of work involved really there we it's available to us in a moment in a split second we can immediately come to that place but to maintain this level of mindful awareness practice is absolutely key if i didn't meditate every day i'm sure that quite quickly i would be quite stressed and depressed and a bit mad again uh, and so for me it is it is essential it's like brushing my teeth I wouldn't want to go out and breathe my 
uh, breathe my unbrushed teeth breath on anyone. And equally, I wouldn't want to go out into my day having not meditated and share that um, slightly grosser version of myself with everybody. <laughs> that's a really, that's a really interesting but very true way of looking at it. But you also spoke there about the work that you do is with some some high-profile high people and, and business people and things like that. When when do you think that this this notion of, of mindfulness became so popular and main, mainstream? Like, why do you think that is of late? I think that there has been some key people that have really helped propel this because when I first came to it um, – uh, and even, you know, even quite recently, people have been quite nervous that perhaps it was just Buddhism through the back door is a phrase that gets used quite a lot. Um, or that there was something kind of a bit bit weird about meditating. But actually, people have really broken down barriers. I was um, lucky enough, there was a big show here in London uh, a couple of weeks, weekends ago, the Mindful Living show where I was speaking. And there were some really wonderful speakers there who had kind of been part of this movement of breaking things down. Dan Harris, mm. for instance, who has a fabulous book, 10% um, Happier. And he has been uh, very big in the US about spreading mindfulness from a very straightforward, very secular uh, viewpoint. Uh, he, I don't know if you're aware of Dan, Mike. Yes, I am. Yes. Uh, so he, yeah, he, so for those listeners that, that are not, um, he was um, a news anchor on Good Morning America and he had a panic attack while uh, presenting uh, live news to millions of viewers uh, and subsequently found mindfulness uh, and he, that really, really helped him with his anxiety and depression. And he then became a big fan and, and wrote 10% Happier, which is a fabulous book. Um, here in, in the UK, we had Ruby, Ruby Wax, who has been a massive advocate for, again, pushing mindfulness uh, to people who wouldn't necessarily have approached it before. And both of those uh, individuals have brought it with great humour, actually. And with humour, we have the ability to really break down barriers. It doesn't have to be something that's seen as very lofty or serious or spiritual, but actually just very practical. And I think people are more and more open to looking at practical ways for helping themselves and recognizing that actually mental health is just as important if not more important than physical health and i'm i'm sure that generations to come certainly our kids will take that for granted uh, in a way that perhaps our generation and certainly uh, the generation before us would have viewed it with slight suspicion. <laughs> but speaking of kids, you've also done some meditation work within schools and, and with, you know, obviously um, school-aged children. When you, when you do the work with them, do you find that the changes in kids are different or the same as the changes in adults? Well, it very, depend, very much depends on age group. So when working with the smaller children actually really 
we don't need to teach small children mindfulness at all. We need to learn from them. They are the most incredibly mindful little creatures. You just watch them. Uh, My four-year-old son is so incredibly mindful and just watching him play I learn how to be more mindful from him rather than directing him in play or trying to get involved in any way, just getting down on the floor with him and getting involved with him following bugs around or whatever it might be is absolutely wonderful. Uh, so I think it's just important for the for the young age group to give them the space which they need to feel it's okay to just do their own thing and it's okay actually to be bored it's really important for kids to be bored because out of that creates this space in which they learn to create I think we're all a bit frightened in this day and age of being bored which is why we're so quick to kind of pick up our phones Mm -hmm. and check our social media and all that kind of thing but actually out of out of these little spaces in our life come great um, creative opportunities So it's important to nurture that. But then for the older kids, um, teenagers, I mean, wow, I would not want to be a teenager in this day and age, would you? No way. (laughs) I I, I am just so thankful that Facebook and all that came in kind of in my late 20s and Mm. uh, and not my, my teens and early 20s. Yeah, wow. And these kids are having to project some kind of profile about who they are at such an early stage. Um, And so much of our problems in society, in my view, are, are created around trying to pinpoint and define this identity, because in defining ourselves, we confine ourselves in so many ways. And then when we've created this story around who we are, we try to live up to that story. And this comes with so many pressures. So um, working with kids uh, who are sort of a secondary school level that I think is it high school where you are um working with those it's really important to just create a space for them really to give them some tools to check into their breathing to know that it's okay to not think all the time here in the UK certainly we put our students under such intense pressure to achieve uh, and there is certainly a feeling with a lot of the the young people that I've worked with that they need to be thinking all the time Uh, and this is so important to give them permission to not think it's okay to not think in fact some of your best stuff will come from the moments where you're not thinking and if we want to create a society of free thinkers of creatives uh, then giving people the opportunity to just sit back and have a bit of space uh, is the best thing that we can possibly do for them well i think too a lot of that's kind of being drilled into us about productivity and needing to always achieve and what are you doing now and what's that next thing that that taking time out to think or taking taking time out to stop has kind of been you know shunned upon in the past yeah absolutely i feel that we need to be if we're not doing something we feel we need to be thinking about something but actually 
part of the essence of mindfulness is really changing our relationship to our thoughts rather than being so close to our thoughts, so jumbled up in our thoughts. We do this thing every time we meditate of stepping back of, I like to call it sitting at the station of our thoughts. And so obviously we have a train of thought, they're called trains of thought. And quite often there's so many trains kind of whizzing in from all these different directions. And we're just jumping from one train to the next, from one train to the next. And we're going off on all of these different journeys. And usually those journeys are into the past, reruns of conversations or whatever, or into the future, projecting, catastrophizing, worrying, planning. And all of those journeys take us away from the present moment. They take us away from now. So what we're training ourselves to do when we sit in meditation is kind of sit at the station of our thoughts is how I like to describe it. So we're sitting at the station and we're just noticing the trains that are coming in and going out again. And as we do so, we recognize that we have an ability to just watch, to be an observer to sit back and not necessarily have to jump on board every single train of thought. And as people see that and experience it for themselves, it is such a revelation because quite often we're very familiar with some of those trains of thought. We see it coming along and we're like, oh my goodness, I've been on you before. I know where you go. Don't quite like this one. And to know that we don't have to get on board to be able to train ourselves to sit back. Wow, how incredible. We can have so much more uh, control over what is going on in there because the mind is an amazing servant uh, but when it's in charge uh, we get in all sorts of knots all sorts of tangles go on all sorts of journeys we don't want to go on no that is so true and that is such a beautiful analogy i was picturing everything there as you were describing it and it, that's exactly what it is like all of those trains of thoughts going from one place to the next i could imagine the the train that is the present or or this um, would actually be a train kind of driven by a dog, uh, because I just <laughs> I, I find whenever I'm around around um, dogs, especially, that's all I'm doing. I'm I'm just sitting there, right there with them, and and we all know dogs live in the present um, more than anyone. But you spoke earlier about learning kind of mindfulness by watching your your four-year-old child and i actually think that that age four is such a beautiful age it was mm, actually mm. the um the age when we went traveling for a year as our uh, we, when my family and i all went traveling for a year and our daughter andy was four at that time it was such a a beautiful beautiful age but how has mindfulness helped you being a parent well i feel that the more grounded we are in the present, the less stressed we are, the less anxious we are, the less we pass that on to the kids. And as we all know, you know, we all have bad days. And if you're having one of those mornings where you're trying, you're feeling a bit stressed, you're trying to rush, suddenly, you know, the kids will have an argument or get the ump and everybody loses something and everyone's dragging their heels. And and actually kids, they pick up on vibes so enormously. They are uh, these creatures that are so influenced by our mood. And actually 
so often I get parents come to me wanting help with their anxious children but to help them the most really I need to be helping the parents first because um, as much as we as much as that isn't an easy thing to kind of tell people it's really important that actually we are in the best place we can possibly be so that we are showing our children that actually being a grown-up is fun for myself personally, I was petrified of turning into a grown-up because I lived in quite a dysfunctional household with very anxious, stressed-out parents. And from my point of view, I was kind of looking at my impression of what being an adult was. And I was always worried about turning into an adult, worried that I couldn't cope with the pressures of being an adult. And that fed into my anxiety as a child and my behaviour as a child and certainly as a teenager from hell, which I was, um, because it was this rebelling against everything. And so I think that for me... My job parenting my kids has, everyone says to me, wow, they're so good. They, you have it so easy. And I do feel absolutely blessed to have it so easy. Um, but I feel that that, um, that is a reflection always of where I'm at. And on the days where I am not at my best, that definitely filters through to the kids. And uh, and they're a little reflection of what's going on with me. It's like they hold up this little mirror to me with bad behaviour. And I go, ah, actually, this is something I need to learn from. Got you. So I guess in, in those moments of of your bad days and you're kind of seeing that in your kids, that's a that's a big step to be able to go, okay, hold on, they're acting up. I'm going to look inside myself and see what I've been doing today. How have I been acting today? Like that's a really big step to take. Well, that's mindfulness. You just become more and more mindful of what's going on for you. And actually it's not just with the kids. It's kind of with everyone. When I deal with people with anger issues, I, uh, I work quite a lot with people with anger issues and addictions. And actually, uh, we know that if we're going around and we've got all of this anger bubbling away inside of us, uh, then we tend to draw towards us or see the anger in other people uh, and get into rows and get cut up and all of this kind of thing. And actually, we know that conversely, if we're having, if we've just had some good news uh, and we're beaming from ear to ear, we go out into that world and the whole reflection of the world changes because we're beaming, people start smiling at us in the street, people start chatting to us uh, behind the counter uh, in, in, the, uh, in the supermarket, all of that kind of thing really shifts and changes. And, and as we tune into this more and more, all of these little serendipities reveal themselves to us and we see that actually our life is often a big reflection 
of what's going on inside us. It's so true that you talk about that, like when when you're having a great day and, and people behind the counter are smiling at you and all those kinds of things. Because there are sometimes I'll be going to bed and I'll be lying down and I'll lean over and I'll say to Inga, I'm like, man, today was just like such a great day. I had such a fun day today. And I didn't, I didn't do anything exciting. It was just a normal day. And it's usually because I've, I've woken up and I've started my morning great and we've had a really great breakfast and, and one thing kind of just snowballs into the next. But I've, I've never kind of looked at it at the way that you've just described it then, but it's so true. Yeah. And, and once, we, once we know that, once we see it and we feel it for ourselves, then we can influence that. Um, because we all have days where we get out of bed and we stub our toe and stuff goes wrong and a bill comes that we weren't expecting. But actually, if we can catch that, if we can catch that and say, whoa, okay, I can see where this is going. Can I reset? And if we have some tools to be able to kind of reset so that we're not going out into the world already on stress level six, um, then that's a really great way of, of kind of managing how things go for us in day-to-day life. And just before we wrap up here, Francis, like for the people listening that have, you know, they're kind of like, oh, you know, I've heard about this mindful stuff, I've, this mindfulness stuff, and I've heard about this meditation stuff. What do you think is the, the best thing for them to maybe dip their toe in the water or to, to give it a try? What, what, what do you think the best thing for the, those kind of people is, is to do? Oh, well, that is fabulous, Mike, because then you have just led me into being able to plug my own podcast (laughs) because um, because I, like you, am very keen to offer lots of free resources. Mindfulness has completely transformed my experience of life and I have spent many, many hours in a little studio in um, the home of one of my clients, uh, just recording little guided meditations and little talks uh, which help guide people through. And so it's called the Mindfully Happy Podcast. So if people visit my website, which is www.mindfullyhappy.com or uh, francistrussell.com, there is a link there, a little podcast sign at the top. So you can click on that and it will send you through to a link. They could be on iTunes or on uh, the podcast and they're all completely free for you to access. And please do enjoy them. Uh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Or if people on their smartphones have that little purple podcast sign, if you click on that and search Mindfully Happy Podcast, it comes up Mindfully Happy with Francis Trussell. I actually, I actually started my uh, day today listening to one of your um, your episodes, and it was um, it was lovely. Actually, it was beautiful. It was a really lovely experience. But you also um, you also run some some courses and and drop in classes. So obviously, if people are in London and near you, they can do that. But for me, I've never personally gone to like a class or or like a meditation course. I've usually done this as kind of something I do early hours of the morning by myself <laughs> in the dark. But but do you think those those courses and those classes are are great for kind of people to you know learn with other people? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, for me. 
they're absolutely essential. I still continue to learn from from people all of the time. And I think that um, that face to face interaction with one another, we kind of talked about that earlier, being able to connect with someone when you look into their eyes and being able to ask questions as they arise in the moment rather than sitting there and feeling slightly isolated, thinking, I don't know whether I'm doing this right. And this this bit doesn't feel right. And what about this? It's really great to have people to bounce off of. Um, And if you can connect with a meditation group, it's a really fabulous and important thing to do. I'm really lucky next week uh, I'm training with the the very famous Mr. John Kabat-Zinn, who has been very pivotal in bringing mindfulness meditation um to to the whole of western society really he's kind of the the founding father of the modern mindfulness movement Uh, and to just keep connecting to those people who are connected really it feels like when you hang out with people who are coming from that really grounded place uh, it's like you're standing next to um, a fire and if you stand close enough you kind of catch fire yourself beautiful i like that well I, i'll have to see if i can find one in my local area here because it is it is something that i i think i would thoroughly enjoy um but one final question before we do go here today francis and that is could you please describe your perfect day my perfect day wow I believe that a perfect day is one where you just allow things to unfold moment by moment, where you manage to get out of your own way enough to enjoy whatever it is that's going on. And as you do so, you kind of know you're on the right tracks because little moments of loveliness appear and little serendipities arrive so that's my perfect day well it sounds wonderful and i i hope i have many of those as well i really do (laughs) but francis thank you so much for giving me a lot of your time here today and for um i know it's the morning over there and it's nighttime here but for mm. a- a- allowing me to kind of reach out and uh email you and say hey I'd, I'd love to have a chat and to share your story and thank you so much for all the little bits of wisdom that you you've provided everybody listening here today um we did kind of talk about your your website earlier on but if people want to reach out to you and maybe follow your journey or to um learn a little bit more about about you is the website the best place for them to do that yeah and you can uh, now follow me on i've just started instagram which is something i've only just started doing a couple of weeks ago uh, so please please do uh, follow me there i'm on twitter where i'm quite active uh, on twitter uh, and also we have a facebook page so i'm relatively new to this whole social media thing i kind of avoided it uh, for a while but i've got a book coming out at the end of the year and i'm told that you have to do uh, all that kind of thing so I'm on it and actually now that I am on it I've made so many fabulous connections and I'm really committed to putting out some good quality content so please do follow me um it's uh Francis Trussell mindfully happy on Instagram uh, and it's 
at Francis Trussell uh, on Twitter. Uh, and it is mindfully happy with Francis Trussell on Facebook. <laughs> ah, happy days. Well, I will definitely make sure that all of those links and everything that we spoke about are in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. And I think too, when that book comes out later in the year, we'll, um, we'll have to have you on again so we can, we can talk about the book and go deep diving into that. But um, Fabulous. Before we go, uh, is there anything that you'd like to say or anything that I've, I've forgotten at all? No, not at all. Just a big thank you. It is so wonderful, Mike, to to connect and how wonderful it is that we have these resources uh, which make this big wide world that we uh, live in so, so accessible. Uh, how wonderful this could be. Oh, so true. So very true. Well, thank you once again, Francis. And for everybody listening, thank you. And until next time, have fun and live immediately. That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.